guys, this is Tina B. And Charmaine G. We're here to talk about the messiness of life. It's ugly. And it's raw. It's real. And it's a freaking game. It's whack-a-mole. 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 This is us. And our gift to you. Hello and welcome. Hello, wackos. Another Tuesday. Here we are in studio. Actually, I'm in studio. Charmania, the Charmaniac, is out of town. <laughs> <laughs> so she's joining hey, us by everyone. phone. Hi, Charmaine. Hi, Tina B. It's so Thanks weird. Not I, <laughs> I like it better when you're here, just so you know, for future reference. I know. We've like the live in person i can read you i can observe you and Heck right now yeah. i feel like i'm flying blind i know it's kooky isn't it you're in the it's snow beautiful. right now you don't have to say where you are but it snowed by you um it snowed 16 inches holy and cow I, yeah so i am not a snow goer i definitely like want to retire in the heat <laughs> so uh <laughs> Hats off to whoever likes to, to live in this environment, but I am definitely a beach and a sun girl. Mm. I love the snow. Okay. I think there's something very romantic and cool about it. I like a cloudy day. Yeah, I like maybe rain. one night. Yeah, one I know. Night. Living in it is a whole yeah. different. Shoveling your car out of it and all of that is a whole different deal. Oh, yeah. So, Hell no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Hell no. Hell to the no on that. Okay, so we're doing something a little different. Not only is Charmaine coming to us from a remote location because work, her actual job, took her out of town. Um, I have a a male guest. So it's somebody that I've known for a long time, and I'll do an introduction for him in a little while. Last week, we spoke about domestic violence, and the intention of this podcast is not to bum everybody out. It takes a certain amount of finesse to talk about the painful yuckiness of life and also sort of make light of it. Um, That's not always easy to achieve. So bear with us. Um, I laugh at a lot of the stuff that I've been through because I'm on the other side of it. So last year, last year, last week, we talked about um, domestic violence, as I stated, and I talked a lot about the problem. I talked a lot about... um, the circumstances that surrounded me as a kid and then some of the stuff that I kind of brought into my adulthood, but I really felt like we didn't spend, there's, we could go on and on about this subject probably. And there's so many different facets and so many different things, but I really wanted to talk about the solution. That's important to me because you you know, you can hear about the problem for so long, but like, it's like what happened and how did it change? And, all of that good stuff. And that's true across the board with any subject. So that's why we decided, Charmaine and I decided that we wanted to do one more episode. And then um, I will be bringing a male perspective in. And um, I want to say just carefully and lovingly that this is somebody that I care deeply for. He's one of my oldest friends. And he is willing to come on here and speak to us about a time when he committed domestic violence and what he did to come out of that. And so, um, that's brave if you ask me. So his name is Andrew. He will be joining us in the next, um, the next segment after our break. So how you doing Charmaine? I'm doing well. Still with me. I really want to echo, I want to echo the fact that when we deep dive into these things of lived experiences, it connects. Um, with people that are out there maybe currently struggling or that has a history, that we can be aware that even our neighbors, our co-workers, 
um, people that are very um, connected to us in a way that they have that support system. They know that nothing in this world is lived alone. Mm. Um, we're, we're human and we've gone through experiences because it's part of our plan and it helps build us in resilience. And I have to say that I'm very proud of Tina to speak up about this such a sensitive topic. However, she's come to the, the, the comfort levels that she's had. It's not been an overnight thing. It's been an entire life experience. So um, <clears throat> it starts with acknowledging and acceptance. So I, I, I look forward to the part two. Um, I think she's brave enough, more brave than I could ever be. Oh, um, stop. I, <laughs> well, I, I have to say that um, this is a very important topic. And, you know, understanding Andrew's piece in it, not just the male perspective, but the statistics alone, it's like one in three women experience um, intimate violence, domestic violence, and one in four men. So it's not a gender-based situation. It, no. A lot of people feel like the weaklings are the women, but that is actually not the case. I think that we talked about this last week, too, that men probably... There's a, a certain amount of humility involved in that. And, and with the people that I've spoken to, that there's not a lot of men that want to broadcast that they've been a victim of, you know, or um, that they're a survivor of domestic violence. It's not as, uh, right. they don't want it. They're not as open as to talk about it, I think. Um, and that's just no. probably more, that's even a human thing. Cause I got to tell you, it's not, it's not pretty. It's not, um, it's just not a fun topic. But no, and the mindset, the mindset that someone's in, in a current abusive situation, isn't rational. I mean, their thought patterns, their, their distortions, um, their reasoning, everything is miscued when you can look outside the box and clearly see that there is a huge situation going on here. That person that's experiencing it does not see it that way. No. And you, the more you cut yourself off from family, friends in the outside world, the easier it is to believe you deserve to be in that situation. It's really maddening. So, yes, as Charmaine said, I'm going to reiterate. <clears throat> excuse me. I have a little froggy in my throat. More than one on average, more than one in three women and one in four men in the United States will experience rape, physical violence and or stalking by an intimate partner. So, um, and one in 10 high school students has experienced physical violence from a partner in the last year alone. Oh, statistics like these demand that we all commit ourselves to ending abuse for good. So how do we do that? How do, you know, I felt last week I was telling you that I felt sort of complicit. You know, I was, I could not leave. <clears throat> I could not leave. It was so difficult for me. My, I was not speaking to family. I had isolated myself from my family and moved somewhere where I didn't know anybody but him uh, for a while. Right. And so I was in that. And I had said it, it was, I sort of built a little cage around myself, I guess, um, not knowing it. I could never even see that then. There was a time when I, when it got bad enough and I knew that I wanted to get out of the relationship and I had to put a plan in place. I, I want to also just state that I was always free to go. He, he didn't necessarily lock me up anywhere. I was an emotional prisoner in my life. I was always, I was still pretty much a volunteer for the most part, but I was so damaged that I couldn't 
get up the, uh, I didn't have enough self-esteem, whatever you want to call it, enough uh, gumption to get up and move out of there. So when I thought about why, which I spent a lot of time thinking about why did I, how could I not, you know, the, the whole uh, mind fuck, if you will, that you put yourself through, you're weak, you're this, you're that, you're all of that stuff. It wasn't until a light bulb went off for me where I was like, okay, I have to leave this relationship and the feelings that surrounded that action, just the thought of doing that were brutal. Um, I didn't want to feel that pain. I didn't want to feel the pain of leaving a relationship, having failed or not conquered it or whatever that little thing was that was going on with me. Um, it was, it's so silly when I say it out loud because it, it, this is the truth now. I, it was easier for me to stay than it was for me to think about walking through the pain in a nutshell. Okay. So it was, and just because I was aware of that did did not mean that, oh, like the next day I woke up and went, oh, okay. So there's the solution. And I just kind of, you know, skipped out and, and didn't have any problems. I had to really look at what the problem was. I had to look at where was I broken inside of me that I was making the decision to stay in an unsafe situation as opposed to walking through the pain of leaving this relationship. So, and that's, what does that take? That takes a lot of therapy and a lot of trusting of someone else in the therapy seat telling me, look, let's start breaking this down a little bit. Let's start looking at um, these different patterns of behavior and so on and so forth. And for me, it came back to, I hate, it's so cliche to say this, but I had... (laughs) I had abandonment issues. Um, you know, people I trusted and loved and turned my my trust over to um, had abruptly left my world. So I didn't trust people so much. And I think even deeper than that, Charmaine, I think I didn't trust me because I too was a runner. I too could be abusive and um, not nice, you know, controlling well, and all I- of that. I think so, Tina. I mean, we're when we're children and we're young, you know, our home is our first um, example to learn how to have relationships and attach to relationships healthy. So I've, yeah, I've even spoke to my parents about this because I mean, we all have to admit that, you know, even if you grew up in a home that was leave it to beaver or, you know, <laughs> the Bundys. Right. That it, it was like it literally, it literally is about how we're taught to have relationships, and it's by the nurturing, the affection, the communication, um, what we see examples as far as like physical, and you know my attachment is is has a flaw because of the emotional inavailability to trust people. Mm. You know, I'm growing as an adult. I figured it out, thank goodness, in this lifetime. So it makes sense, Tina, that, you know, you don't know how to trust. And when it comes to things being unhealthy, that is your norm, you know? Yeah. Well, it was your norm. It was. It definitely isn't anymore. And I've said this a million times, and I really want to say this. I do not regret. There's some things I wish would not have happened, of course. I'm not wishing this on, you know, um, abuse on anybody. When I look at my path, everything was important to have taken place because that's what it took for me to 
become aware. So, <clears throat> you know, it's like I was going over this with my daughter a couple of weeks ago. She had a little fender bender that's going to cost her a little bit of money. And she had to make some decisions about insurance and about, you know, which way she wanted to go. Did she want to pay cash for the, you know, the repairs and la la la, all this stuff. And she was just like, um, she was like, mm, I'm so mad at myself that I even did that. Like, why was I even driving like that? Why do I drive like that? And I said, because that's how we learn. Like we don't, we learn by walking through that pain of consequences. That's how we learn. We don't learn by yeah. mom telling you, I said, I've told you a million times not to drive so fast. Right. And she said, yeah. And I said, did you listen? And she said, no. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a simple concept, really hard and a tough pill to swallow for sure, but it's the same thing. So walking through that stuff has built my character. It's really made me see at what is acceptable for me. What, how do I want to treat myself? How do I, right. what situations do I want to place myself in? It, it stops being about the other person. D does that make sense? I'm not articulating that oh, yeah. the way that I, that no, I intended I, to, but. I believe. So my thing is, is this, that like you could even be so far into the healing stage, but you still may have, you know, talking about it triggers. You may still have things that are residual of, of labeling yourself as, you know, instead of the, I love that you call yourself a survivor because some people, you know, years later uh, are still victimized in, in many, many, many ways because of the, the post-traumatic stress disorders that are caused from, you know, emotional neglect, physical violence, sexual violence. Um, so when we put our own labels on ourselves, it totally makes sense what you're saying. So, and um, I don't, I think a lot of people could definitely identify with that, even if, if they don't see, I call myself uh, in my second lifetime for a reason. You see what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. that's not how I identify. Right. Um, it's so. difficult to, when I look back, I used to look back on that with a lot of shame. Um, and now I don't, mm -hmm. not at all. I look back and go, wow, I really, you know, I came through that and, and, um, it changed me. It changed my character. I mean, I could have done with a lot less bruises, <laughs> you know, or a lot less violence that I, we were showing the kids and, you know, um, trying, you know, creating an unsafe home when all we really ever wanted was a safe home. Um, right. but it's, it's the way that it's just the way that it is. And I wouldn't change any of it because I've, learned a lot about who I am and I want to I always have to credit my husband when I'm talking on these podcasts Greg Mr. He Greg it. he does deserve it he he taught me a while ago he used he talks a lot about um there's opposition in all things and so yeah. I know from being in a really dark place and in a relationship that was brutal on both ends. We were not good to each other. Love was not part of the equation in there at all. Uh, well, it stopped being about that, of course. Yeah. But now I know what I definitely don't want because I've experienced it. So now I can appreciate yeah. being in a loving relationship and the back and forth and the give and take of that because I know the opposite of that. Well, yes. And you're getting to live that experience. You know, I'm going to raise this back. It's a sure fact that relationships with abusers do not 
start off with like the climax. It definitely is, you know, a mask and and like something that they have a very uh, loving personality, and so there's a connection there, almost a reliable, intimate connection, and then then that's when the cycle starts. You know, and it's it's a pretty basic cycle when it comes to the the control wheel. Mm. Um, are you familiar with the control wheel? And speaking through this, I mean, it's four simple stages of the tension building, um, the you know the detective, the gaining the evidence to build the case to reach the incident where it turns into the climax. It turns into the nasty arguments mm. or mm-hmm. physical brutal blowout and then it turns into the remorse and the reconciliation which could look like gifts or um, almost like act like it didn't happen let's go on vacation let's plan something make up sex yeah make up <laughs> sex good 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 yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. and that for the abuser, that's what's going on in their cycle. And then it turns to the calm, like they get to actually have that normalcy feeling. But when you're the abusee, that's not what's going on. That power will is definitely different. There's so much fear and everything that's going on in, in between all those stages that the psychology effect that happens to somebody, uh, it's so hard to break. One in 12 times, I mean, 12 times is typically the average period that it takes an abusee to leave someone. The first time, tell me about your first time, Tina. The first when time I left? With the water. Yeah, the, when you tested the water. Oh, I did a whole thing. I did a a whole moving out here. Then he, then the abuse started, and I literally packed my whole house up and put things in storage and moved in with a friend. And then we got back together, and I'd moved back in with him. I lived out of boxes for a few years because that situation was so unmanageable. I could not stay away from it. I could not. So there was the initial time. But I will tell you, we were married, I think, for eight years. We were more separated in that marriage than we actually lived together. Like if you if you clumped them all the time wow. that we, yeah, it's it was pr- quite sad. Very sad, actually. Um, and neither of us being able to really let go of it. It was hugely dysfunctional. So I did. I lived out of boxes yeah. for a long time. I would leave and find my own place. And then soon I'd be inviting him in. And, you know, there would be, yeah. um, I mean, it, it was, um, that sticks in my throat a little bit. <laughs> it does. It sticks in cool. my throat a little bit. Um, but it's true. Well, and I, it, it, it is a cycle, you know, I mean, it's hard to rationalize now that how could I let that happen feeling, but um, you know, that it's very telling that when you're running from a situation or you're leaving a situation, I mean, that you have to pull on disconnect from that in every which way and put yourself in an environment that you're you're in a healthy place with. You know, everything is available at your fingertips these days, a phone call, um, addresses. I mean, you can access GPS, people's other devices. Oh, my goodness, yeah. I mean, your emails, they can get into your stuff. They mm-hmm. can view who you're talking to and who you're texting. I mean, it's so at their fingertips that you almost have to go off grid, you mm, know? Yeah. It was like, you know, people start t- t- 
started leaving my life too. Like I, it was like being on one of those merry-go-rounds in the park, you know, the thing where you keep put somebody pushes and pushes and you start out kind of in the middle and then you make your way out to the end and eventually you're just like yeah, hanging yeah. off the side of it because it's and going then you're so gonna fast. Fly off of yeah, it. that's how people yeah. were leaving my life. Like I had this close knit set of wonderful women and men in my life and then the faster that shit spun people just start bailing out bye i'm done <laughs> okay she left yay oh my gosh oh shit he's back bye i gotta go i'm out it's a very lonely place to be and you set it up i set it up like that just behind the um not being able to leave so once i discovered that i could leave and i did and the process was slow i want to just say that there were books that i read that were um elizabeth gilbert's eat pray love was a Ooh, book that i read i have three copies of it because i've worn it out so much i have oh read God. that but yeah i would take it in the tub with me like it's so dog-eared and pages are ripping out and it was a resource book for me the way that she spoke about her life and the dysfunction that she um had in her relationships with men and wanting to break that cycle appealed to me. Now I'm not saying that there was any domestic violence in that book. That's not the direction I'm going. That book gave me hope. It gave me hope to know that I could be spinning out in a relationship and really not know what the hell I'm doing and being codependent and all of those other, you know, recovery words, um, that, she just took herself out of a certain situation and immersed herself in a solution. And that appealed to me. That was it's always been oh, appealing to me. And so, yes, I, I used, hope yeah. Will always, hope and light will always empower no matter what darkness you're in. Um, you know, the light absorbs the darkness. So if it's a book, if it's a friend that you've thrown off the merry-go-round, um, it's to never stop to keep trying to dig your way out, you know? Yeah, and my kids slept with me a lot, too. There were a lot of nights where we would be watching a movie and they'd fall asleep. And, like, in the morning they'd go, um, why didn't you put us in our bed? And I'd be like, you know, because I kind of enjoyed just having you there, you know? I learned to find, yeah. fill the void and the that, that, whatever that place that I was looking to fill in a relationship I was starting to find in other places. And I, I also have to say artwork. Artwork was really big for oh, me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so, you should post some of your artwork. I, I have posted a couple of things, but I have plenty right. more. I have plenty more that we can uh, leak out into there. But it's some, that's a place where I can find some meditation and be, and be real quiet and lose myself in uh, drawing and being just yeah, quiet it's, it's very quiet. therapeutic oh my goodness so, hugely therapeutic so let me ask you this sure um second time second time leaving tell the me what second that time like. leaving i went we moved to texas and to be near his father who was ailing we were pulling a geographic <laughs> That's what we were doing. We're like, okay, well, let's get the hell out of here. We've burned so many bridges, both of us. The cops all know us. Like, let's just, you know, let's take the kids. It was literally weeks after Samantha was born. And we went to stay with his dad. Now, talk about isolating yourself. I literally yeah. moved to the middle of the freaking southern United States, somewhere I had never been. And um, 
with this guy that I, who was not worthy of an ounce of my trust. And, and we were both nuts really. And so now we have, you know, we have the kids involved, his daughter, my daughter, our, our daughter together. And, um, we were there probably two months and okay. We were there for two months and, um, one day we got into a fight in the kitchen and he pushed me off the porch. That was when his dad asked me what I did if I deserved it. Um, oh, yeah. And I, in the middle of Oklahoma, I took my stuff that, like the next night and put everything in storage and um, packed the car up with my children. I was still breastfeeding Samantha and drove all the way back to the West Coast. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the second time that I left. And then he, we started wiggling our way back into each other's lives. Like a, probably a good year went by before we were together again. Um, and then, yeah, I took him back after that too. Bitch. All right, we are. We come back. I'm gonna have Andrew. Okay. Okay. Hey, okay. I do want to know. I want to know how many times it took you, Tina. Okay, you'll know. All right, thank you. What was the break, the cough, the stop? This is Whack-A-Mole with Tina B. and Charmaine G. Raw discussion about the messiness of life. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Whack-A-Mole. We welcome you back to Whack-A-Mole. Raw discussions about the messiness of life. Now, here are your hosts, Tina B. and Charmaine G. Okay, we're back. Tina's challenged uh, technologically. We're going to try to get Mr. Hayden on the phone here. Mr. Andrew I can hear Hayden. Andrew, Tina. Can you? I can yeah. hear him. Andrew, I didn't know I had you. Okay, here we are. Well, because, because you just keep talking. I know. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, so let's do a little introduction. Andrew and I met um, back in the 90s. I was, we met in a 12-step program. Can I say that? Too late, I already did. Um, Back in 93, 94, somewhere around there. And we've just, was it 94? He remembers way more than I do. I don't know how much I like that. Anyway, <laughs> um, we met in 94 and we've been friends and been in one another's lives in some fashion or another since then. Um, yeah. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome. Well, I'm happy to be here. Well, oh, good. You. What'd you do today? You know, I was in court all day. Mm. Well, not all day, but half of the day, you know, just doing, um, I'm a criminal prosecutor and I was doing criminal prosecuting. Oh, <laughs> nice. Andrew, Andrew, do I mean, you mind sure that's a word. What, Andrew, what, do you mind um, telling us what state you're in? As, I'm in as Colorado. I'm okay. In Colorado. Yeah. Okay. He's in like so, the southeastern tip of Colorado. Right. I'm just at, uh, in the plains. I'm not in the mountain part of Colorado. I'm in the uh, plains. Okay. I'm in Denver right now, and I am not a fan of the snow. I'm just going to put it that way. No. <laughs> well, you didn't get that much snow up there, so that was. That was uh, it's enough for me. It's enough, <laughs> it's enough for me. But the reason why I asked where you're at is because you are. You see, probably what goes on in the world pretty frequently with the job, um, with the field that you you serve in, don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, I see all manner of of life, right? Both the good parts and the tragic parts. So, yeah. Right. Right. 
How do you get a lot of DV cases monthly? Just ballpark it. Um, I don't know. Um, in front of me, I probably get ten cases that are DV. Mm. Wow! Wow! You know, I've tried everything from you know yelling at each other, you know, obscene words, or bothering, you know, continuing to keep call your ex or significant other to the point where you're harassing them to murder. So I've done it. Yeah. And then the whole penalty. Mm. Yeah. Is that right? Did I say it? I don't think I even said that word right. <laughs> say it again. So no. <laughs> so national listen to this you guys. National statistics say on average nearly twenty people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. Yeah. I mean that seems right. Do you have the statistics on how many times, how many individual episodes of domestic violence a person has to go through before they report it? Mm. Yeah. You know, and that's the interesting fact is because what does it take for you to finally report it? Because, uh, you know, I've been reading up on how many times an attempt to actually leave the situation completely but reporting it is a whole nother thing it's like seven to nine times wow before it first gets reported before it first gets reported and that doesn't mean that the person stops having a relationship with their abuser they continue on but that's when the on average the first that's the numbers that i can remember i could be it could be wrong but that's what i think wow so i have a question with that when you've got a frequent flyer, one that comes in, and I'm not going to call it crying wolf because every episode is just as important as the first time you initially report, but when they keep going back and back and back, does it kind of paint the, uh, I don't know, I guess the, the, the nature of the police officers or attorneys that keep seeing those people over and over again, do they get numb to it? Or do they feel like we've got to get this nip it in the bud for them? Well, so you're saying the the person keeps going back and having DVs and nothing's done about it. And the police keep right. having to come over to the, the, yeah, right. You know, it's frustrating. It gets frustrating. You get, I don't know if you get numb to it, but you get, you know, you look at it a little bit with a jaundice eye in the, in the sense that, you have to start thinking, how much time am I going to invest, mm. you know, into taking this case and moving it forward when I know that the majority of the time the person backs out? Mm. And it's hard to divorce yourself of that because you're not really supposed to do that, right? But I mean, we're right. human and we get frustrated. It gets frustrating. Um, it can be. I mean, there's, there's positions, victim advocate positions. I'm, I'm sure the state of Colorado has the same um, in the prosecutor's offices where the, the, that's their sole job is to support a victim in a case, be it connecting them to services, you know, um, restitution, uh, medical services that are necessary in some severe cases, but pretty much bridging that support system. So they don't tend to, you know, they, they realize they have somebody else on the outside that they're not going to dissolve a complaint or, or you know, a, a statement that they actually go forward with it and they, they feel like that they're safe 
um, and they have somebody there to do it because so many times people back out. Once they report it, they, they go back to their abuser and they go back into that same cycle because it goes into that reconciliation phase where totally. everything's going to get better and he's going to love me mm-hmm. and everything's going to be you the way we need it to be. It'll be different. And isn't that what love is, is for better, for worse, for all of that. I really want to interject right here because I, and I value so much what both of you are saying. And I want to just interject and say that it wasn't until they came and knocked on the door and told me that you, they've opened up a DCFS case and now you have a court date because we're going to look at the, the, this stuff with your kids that was the absolute bottom for me my kids did not thank you jesus get taken from me but that was the wake-up call and what they literally told me was you can't keep this this guy out of the house so now i mean you can do that you're an adult you want to you want to place yourself in an abusive situation go ahead they didn't say it like that but but we're now here we're going to take the kids now we're going to we're going to you know and that was a huge turning point for me because not only did it wasn't so much it was all about my kids for sure but there was a part of me that was like oh my god (laughs) like it just shook me awake so something that i um that was very very important to me and a commitment that i made to god if you all will um, with these little human beings, I was now failing at that to the point that somebody else, that the law felt that they had to step in and yeah. help me see things differently. So yeah, that's like, yeah. that's, that, that was the, definitely the beginning of the end for me. So they get you there, right? right? Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they do. They, we, uh, we see it too, you know, don't let them back in the house. And if you do, we'll, you know, we'll take the kids. Now that's not us, it's, you know, it's part of my human service mm-hmm. that does those things. But yeah, I mean, whatever it takes to to get somebody to hit a bottom, just like in any other for any yeah. other thing that goes on, right? Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know what bottom it is. Having your kids taken from you, or yeah. having your abuser taken from you, because I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why women stay, or and it's mainly women, but I mean men too. But they, yeah. why they stay is because. Uh, the other person's the breadwinner and they're going to mm-hmm. be homeless and, yeah, you know, yeah. they are tied to, you know, not having support because they're usually down here where they don't have any family, you know, right. You know, so all sorts of many reasons why people don't, uh, don't leave their abusers. Yeah, that's true. And I think I, that, that's a way to highlight that the fact there's, there's more than one person involved. Um, in a domestic violence situation, especially with children. So um, we have to be able to protect, even though it is a choice of an adult to stay, um, for whatever motivation. So that gets it done, hats off. I'm everything, everybody has a different motivator, you mm-hmm. know, and if it's, totally. if it's, if it's the children, good, it works. Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, I, I listened to the episode before this and, your story, you know, and I was like, I was shocked at it because you're this mouthy little Italian girl, right? Mm-hmm. Who's, gonna, who's gonna push you around? <laughs> I, I, you know, I know. Scared of you, so you know what? What's the deal? <laughs> I know, I know. It's cra- You didn't even really know about that, Andrew, did you? No, I didn't know about the abuse. No. Yeah. No. I mean, we had lost touch for probably about a good five, six years. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And then, it, yeah, we did. And then, but it was, it got that bad. You know, it got that bad. It's still humbling. Like last week I left this episode and I went home and um, 
had a little hangover, <laughs> like a little emotional hangover. Like, did I do the right thing? Did I, you know, and, and I, of course I did. I mean, I know that I did, and I'm sure that that will happen today as well. Um, as I was saying earlier, anyways, I don't know that I would, um, change too much of that. So let me, let's ask, I appreciate you as a prosecutor and giving your input with that. That's a, what a beautiful thing. We all seem to kind of work um, in that, in this same community in different states. Um, but did you have, so you've, you've had your own little experience. Um, yeah. was it youth? Was it drugs? Was it like, I want to know what, what motivated you to get to a point with your anger that you lashed out with somebody in a physical way? Well, so when I went, so I, I was, um, arrested for domestic violence. I don't know if I was actually arrested. I, I think I, I, I went in on a summons for domestic violence because I had um, for about nine months a warrant for my arrest when I was back before, I don't know, it was like 27 years ago, 28 years ago. And I was just at the end of my addiction and I was with the person that I used with and we just had a very toxic relationship. However, uh, I pushed her. She went over a little wall. And uh, I, don't, I can't remember if she got really damaged from it, but it was no, uh, like, she didn't do anything to deserve that. I wasn't trying to defend myself. I was just lashing out. And I, you know, I like to think it was the drugs and it wasn't because I was some, you know, POS. But, you know, I think I was. I think I was just a POS at that point. I had lived a life of of being uh, angry and frustrated, and I wasn't taking care of myself spiritually, and I wasn't working to better who I was. I was just, you know, in the depths of my, uh, you know, addiction, and um, I was just took it out on somebody who was standing right there talking to me. Probably said, "Hey, why don't you go get a job?" And I, I threw her, you know, down. Sorry, that's uh, that's funny. Because that probably was what it was. Can I can I ask? Was this a like a one time build up event, or were you shocked that you had that capability? Or I don't remember being shocked that I did it. I remember regretting it, and and she said, "I'm going to call the cops." And I remember taking off, and I had not done that physical thing before. But I was, you know, verbally abusive. Uh, you know, for a long period of time. And I still struggle. And, you know, that's my wife, you know, just Andrew get out of hand and yell and scream. And, you know, I, I still do. And I always have to watch myself. I, I still say, say things that I regret. Um, are they, do they rise to the level of domestic violence? I, I don't think so. I like to think no, but still you shouldn't treat people shitty. Um, no. especially the people who you supposedly care about. Um, right. Um, uh, but uh, I don't, I never had any other experience where I, I physically, uh, got in an altercation with a significant other, but I've done other shitty things. I cheated yeah. on them or I, I, you know, disrespected them to people. You know, I've done those kind of things. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I, I mean, like, when you think of the growth that you've overcome after that experience for your, you know, uh, your remorse and 
that it kind of propelled you into looking inside yourself more than ever, didn't it? Um, and going, yeah, so it's not just about the drugs. It's not just about using. This relationship is unhealthy. Um, many years have gone by. It's not moving forward. What do I need to change about myself? Kind of the feel. I, I, I don't know if it was that deliberate, my change, other than okay. um, I would tell you, know, you that uh, about that same time, about seven months later, my, uh, my uh, son's mother passed away uh, to a brain aneurysm, and I had a four-year-old son, yeah. and I was homeless, really, essentially, and yeah. I had to get my act together, and part of that was addressing uh, the warrant that I had. Oh, okay. And cleaning up the wreckage of my present and my past. And I went to counseling. I went to, I went to court and they gave me diversion. And I went through the diversion program. What did that look like? And, well, I, was, I had a probation officer who I had to meet with. Uh, I had uh, 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 counseling one-on-one and group. And I was I was totally okay with those things. Uh, I talked in group. I was comfortable in group. But I will tell you that I also at the same time was going to AA meetings and NA mm. meetings. And I, you know, it was you know I felt like you know here I was doing similar stuff, right? So you were take so. you were in recovery from your seemingly hopeless state, right? From your addiction, you were in recovery and you were tackling a few things, not just the, did you do anger management? Yeah, I did anger. Yeah. That was the, I, I guess that's what they call the group session. Oh, okay. And then I had the, the one-on-one mm. and then my meetings with the probation officer. Did you feel I like did you, that for a year? Oh, did yeah. you a year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did yeah. you get something out of it? Do you feel like you were edified by that experience? I was scared okay. to get into relationship because I feared that I wasn't ready to do that. Mm. You wow. know, I didn't like it. Not that I didn't get into relationships. I just was, it was, it wasn't something I did. I, I was worried about it yeah. for a long time. I worried about Andrew, the jerk mm. and I didn't, didn't want to be crappy to another individual. I was scared, I guess would be the, so I didn't, I didn't, you know, I dated some, I didn't date a lot. I think there's, go ahead, go ahead, Charmaine, sorry. Did did the individual counseling help with um, maybe unraveling some, some of the facts of why, you know, you have Andrew, what Bill Andrew to where he was that day, or was it more like, the support system that you were building in AA, NA, things that you could identify more with? I, I, you know, I, I certainly remember AA more than I remember my individual counseling sessions. But, you know, uh-huh. and too, I did, you know, and Tina could test this. I mean, when we were in the midst of that program, that's what we did all the time. I mean, right. that, was, that was at least my social group and, and my recovery right. uh, a lot in there. Yeah, we did that, and we drank a lot of coffee, and we watched a lot of movies. <laughs> we would. We would stay up late on, like, um, coffee, and it was. we lived in the desert, and it was really hot, and we'd be out till, you know, till the bars closed. We just weren't drinking. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's hard, you know, I got to be honest with you. I mean that 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 whole that whole newly sober being in the program, even that whole aspect of going to counseling and stuff was all I, I thought wonderful. Mm. It was really great. I you know. I finally had hope that my life was going to get better, and it did. It got infinitely better. Ditto. I agree, and I and I can attest to that because, as you were talking about it, and and I know you've told me about that incident before. That's just not the Andrew that I know. I I can't imagine, um, but I know you probably can't reciprocate that because when I say I get angry, I know you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly who she is. But um, it's true. I, I know that. I'm not in any denial about that. I wear everything out on my sleeve. But I just want to say that that incident you said, you said it happened like 27 some odd years ago. And, and now look at your life. I don't, I don't think that we need to just like go, okay, this guy's a, a perp and he's never going to be anything different, which there might be truth to that. If somebody is in denial about... Um, being an abuser, that that's somebody you can easily give up on. But when you see somebody who makes a mistake like that and then betters their life, I mean, you this is almost a full circle moment for you because now you're an attorney. You've not only educated yourself, you have stayed sober. You do not engage in that type of behavior anymore and you have this awareness and that's that's a really, that's a cool thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, from the grace of God, have stayed close to the ideas that I needed to improve on myself. And but you talk about other people who, you know, may not, who have relapsed maybe on drugs or have gone back and then back into an abusive relationship as a a victim. I know you don't like that word, but gone back in. Um, or, you know, started abusing again or whatever. I, I think that there's always a, you know, a, what do you call those things that when somebody has a, uh, you know, an epiphany and they become better. They oh, like a light bulb say, moment. Or... Yeah. 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 Like an awakening. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe you can't, I don't want to be your friend anymore, but I'm glad that you're the way you are. You know, if you're the the victim of an abuser, or something. Mm. I'm, I'm, you know, I, everybody has the ability to be better. I yeah. think. Oh yeah. I oh, put yeah. a guy away for prison for we. I, I didn't put him away. The, the system did, but he, he's there for life because he murdered his girlfriend. Oh. And I never want to see that guy out on the street again. There's just some things that you don't deserve to get back into society. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But you know, his family thinks of him as a as a a person that they still love. That's just you know. Uh, that's forgiveness, probably. That. No, I totally agree with you. You're right in line with what I was saying because I think there was a part of me that wanted. Um, Anybody who hurt me, I wanted to believe that they were better than that. I also want to believe that I'm better than the people that I've hurt. Like, I'm better than that behavior as well. And the only way I get better at that is by really acknowledging it for what it is. You know, behavior reveals itself, whether it's good or bad. Or I tell my daughters this all the time, Marissa and Samantha, I tell them, look, your behavior always reveals itself. If you're going to 
be a liar. Like if you're, if you want to practice lying, go right ahead. It's going to reveal itself. It comes out always. And I remember telling right. Samantha that so many times and she would get busted doing stuff like through no effort of my own. Like I never even had to go searching out, catching her doing something, um, some teenage something, you know, against the rules that just would find me and let me know on its own. And she would be like, ah, why is that happening? Cause bad behavior you know, reveals itself. All behavior really does. I really want to say thank you to you, Andrew. Not that I'm ending Well, we are ending soon, but thank you so much because it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to talk about, um, being on either side of this situation, being abusive and being abused and it's ugly stuff. And, um, I'm really grateful that you came on and you talked about that with us and had the courage to do right. so. Bravo. Thank you very, very much, Andrew. We're going to hear from Andrew welcome. again. He will come back and, and visit with us sure. on other topics because I happen to think that Andrew's funny. He's dry <laughs> and funny. Well, and you gave me a really good topic to talk about. I mean, there's no to be to funny about, right? <laughs> Do you have to come in the studio and like, it's like a metaphor. Like you had to completely get naked before you could, you know, do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. You have to tell, needs, give us your, <laughs> you couldn't even dip your toe oh. into the water. We actually made you dive right in. Sorry. Yeah. You have to become your most vulnerable before, you know, the hundred <laughs> listeners we have <laughs> before you First can actually all, be you know, appreciated for being funny. But, you know, nobody, no, you know, everybody in in the court system here knows that Andrew Hayden's a recovering drug addict. Mm. They all know. Nobody's, you know, if they don't know, it's, they, they haven't been paying any attention to what I say inside the courtroom. And that is, you know, we're only as sick as our secrets. I know. And that's, that's the truth, right? So, yes. you know, did I act abusively? Have I, am I, you know, at times been a POS? Yes. But I don't want to be that way anymore. Well, the you're not way that way it, anymore. You're, you're beautiful. Thank you for joining us. It is time to say goodbye, wackos. Have a good week. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Whack-A-Mole with Tina B and Charmaine G. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Watch us on YouTube and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us next time for, well, whatever may happen with Tina B and Charmaine G on Whack-A-Mole. This has been a production from a podcast studio.